Friends, this is the first Sunday of June. And being the first Sunday of June, June, July, August, I sort of set those months aside for a series of messages. We always call it our summer series because some of it will be, uh, will be brought to you by myself or Pastor Dave or perhaps somebody we're not even sure of at this time throughout the summer months as people are away for holidays and so forth. And so I'm always excited about what the summer series will bring. And this summer, it's actually, it's actually going to be a series of messages that I've been been blessed by, not the same messages, but the same themes that I've been blessed by for years. A number of years ago, I had a book in Medicine Hat, and I used it to teach a Sunday school class uh, only for men. And it was a book by John MacArthur called 12 Ordinary Men. And I looked around that classroom and I said, this is for us because we are all ordinary guys. There was no high flyers, no super special or gifted people there among us. We were just ordinary men, just like the 12 ordinary men that Jesus called to be his apostles. And the graphic you see on the screen before you uh, is a beautiful painting that I love, and it was the cover graphic for that John MacArthur book, 12 Ordinary Men. Well, as you read the foreword of that book, John MacArthur admits he didn't write it as a book. It was a series of sermons that he wrote. And not for the first time. He said years and years ago, and that's how I first came to know John MacArthur and the uh, Ministry of Grace Church down in Los Angeles. Uh, some of you are old enough to remember cassettes. They are cassettes. They went in a thing called tape recorders. I know I'm talking about ancient technology. And inside these cassettes of plastic was this, uh, was this tape, like sticky tape with rust on it. And, and sounds would be recorded to it. It was quite amazing for its era. But these cassettes of recorded messages came in these little vinyl albums and uh, you would order for them, and they'd come to you, and you'd listen to them and send them back to MacArthur's church. And uh, I had a friend in Saskatchewan that uh, was a subscriber to those tapes, and, and we enjoyed them. The most popular cassette set of tapes that MacArthur ever came out with was an old, old sermon series called The Master's Men that he preached on the lives of the Twelve Apostles. And it was so popular, people wore those tapes out that years and years later, he was in not the Gospel of Matthew, but the Gospel of Luke as he preaches verse by verse. And he says, you know, God laid it on my heart to preach a renewed focus on those 12 men, those 12 ordinary men. And so those sermons then became that book. Well, these won't be those sermons. These are going to be looking, though, at the same men that Jesus chose among his followers to be his apostles. And I look at them, and a point that John MacArthur's made, and I've heard it repeated many, many times, but I know where it came from originally, came from John MacArthur, is that as you look at Jesus and those 12 men looking at the sunrise over the Sea of Galilee, that was God's plan to save the world. The message of the good news taken to the world through those 12 men. Now, that seems like a risky plan, MacArthur wrote, but it was God's plan. And he had no plan B. That was plan A. There was no plan B. 
The good news of the gospel wasn't delivered by angels. It wasn't like a heavenly skywriter with the finger of God writing it on the clouds, as spectacular as that might be. It wasn't even by the most gifted preachers and scholars and religious teachers. It was 12 ordinary men from ordinary walks of life, not religious professionals. There were fishermen. There were tax collectors. There were political activists slash terrorists. There was one that Jesus said he was a devil and would betray him one day. Ordinary men, like all people, like you and I, with strengths and weaknesses. In the Gospel of John, we read in John 20, 21, our theme for the focus on those 12 that we'll have throughout the summer, Jesus told them, again Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Remember the old hymn, so send I you? That's God's message to us today. And we need to look into the lives and how Jesus trained and taught and called and chose these 12 ordinary people because as God sent them, He's sending us. And all of it is based on how His heavenly Father sent Him. Well, today we're just going to have, uh, we're not going to begin one of the lives. Today we'll begin that next week and the following week is Father's Day. But before we get to the lives of these individuals, we want to look at them in an introductory message today before we come to the Lord's table for communion. I call today's message, I chose you. Because when you think to yourself, how did these 12 guys, among all of the people following Jesus, the crowds, the multitudes, which the Bible said numbered in the thousands, why these 12? The Bible's very clear. They didn't choose Jesus. It wasn't their idea. Plan A was Jesus' plan. He chose them. I call the message, I chose you. Because friends, from our perspective and our point of view, sometimes we think perhaps we're the ones that chose the life we lead to be people of faith, to be Christians, followers of Jesus. But the reality is that none of us could be a follower unless God called us and equipped us and gave us and gifted us with the very faith to believe the good news. It's all of grace, all a gift of grace. So we're going to see ourselves in the lives of these ordinary people, these 12 ordinary men. We begin with this point that Jesus, he called people. He not only began as a teacher, a lone teacher, walking the dusty roads of Galilee at 30 years old. And how do we know he was 30? Because the Bible at one point, the only time we see a reference to Jesus' age is when he was 12 years old. That was important because he was now bar mitzvah, a son of the law. And he could, in Jewish religious tradition, ask a question. He couldn't teach. You're too young at 12. What do you know at 12? Any 12-year-olds here? But he could, there's one, but he knew enough at that age to ask questions. He could learn at 12 And we see Jesus in the temple. His questions showed more wisdom than the wisest of teachers. And then later in reference to him, they say, well, he's not yet 50, which to them is like mature years, real wisdom. But before 50, you could publicly begin to teach God's word 
Not at 12, not at 18, not at 21, at 30. And so we know in that culture, Jesus laid down the carpenter's tools from His Father's workshop and He became a teacher of the Word of God. Now, teachers naturally drew followers, learners to themselves. And we see Jesus beginning to teach. And in His public exhortations, He would call people to Himself. These people that He called to follow Him, we call them followers. That's the most basic person in Jesus' experience. Followers, and there were many of them. They're also called the crowds. We see them throughout Scripture. The crowds were gathered. And the crowds we often see differentiated from disciples. Disciples are learners. Those are people connected to the teacher, the rabbi, Jesus. But the great multitude, the crowds, Jesus called them as well. To the crowd, He would give a general call as God calls all mankind to salvation, to come to God for salvation. Jesus called all people to come to Himself for the sickness of sin in their souls. Jesus called people. Matthew 11 is one of the most famous calls to the crowd we see of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You could tell that's a wide Spread call. That's to the people. That's at the very initiatory. They're just getting to know God. They don't have real faith in Him, but the focus is on their problem. They have a weariness in their soul. They're soul sick. Jesus knows what ails them. He's the good physician. He knows they have the fatal illness of sin which separates them from God. And God has sent Him to be our Savior. Jesus says like a good physician, He comes to the sick, not the well. And by the well, He means those who don't think they need a doctor. They're sick like everyone else. But the religious professionals didn't want to hear from Jesus. They thought they were doing just fine. Thank you very much. But not only do we see Jesus calling the crowds, but throughout the gathering of the multitudes around Him to hear His incredible, powerful teaching, we see Him touching the lives of individuals and giving individual calls as well. You wonder why these calls are recorded, because we see not quite half a dozen of them in the Gospels. And I believe it's because, well, those are the Gospel writers reflecting on how they came in contact with Jesus and how He noticed them in the crowd and called them individually as well. The most famous of those individual calls are to Jesus. Remember walking along the north shore of the lake and seeing some fishermen that He'd had some previous contact with. In fact, these men previously had been disciples of John the Baptist. And in the book of Mark chapter 1, we know that famous call. Jesus says, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And those men laid down their nets and they followed him. 
It seems that out of the crowd and the multitudes, Jesus was picking people for ministry positions because the ministry of Christ was growing so fast and He was being overburdened by the crowds pressing in for healings, for uh, deliverance from unclean spirits, that Jesus needed help. And He was picking people to help Him in the ministry. These men who had gone to work and then gone to hear Jesus in the evening now were beginning to lay aside their earthly jobs and begin to follow Jesus more closely day by day. They were individual followers, but they were now part of the ministry as well. Well, we see that go on. And though the Scripture, as we see in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the later written Gospel of John, which focuses on the longer teaching of Jesus, none of those Gospels give us a real clear day-by-day accounting for those approximately three years of Jesus' public ministry. Uh, as we remember going through the Gospel of Mark, Mark was written uh, with an outline that was basically geographical. Mark told the things that Jesus did in the Galilee and the things He did in Gentile country and the things He did on the way to Jerusalem and the things He did in Jerusalem, not in chronological order, but in geographical order. If it wasn't for the Gospel of John, we wouldn't know that Jesus had at least a three-year public ministry because John mentioning three Passover festivals. In the other Gospels, we just see one at the end of Jesus' public ministry. We often think of the twelve, those twelve ordinary men being called to Jesus right at the start. I generally do. But the reality is, they weren't. Jesus did not pick out those twelve to be His twelve, His inner circle, the twelve disciples, the twelve apostles, until halfway through His public ministry. Before then, they came and went. They were here today. They were home uh, with family duties and so forth on another day. Do you realize, I often think, those men... The twelve, those twelve ordinary men, they had about a three-year preparation for that ministry that Jesus left in their hands. Oh no. They had half of that time. It was intensive. And as Jesus' ministry goes along, we notice that His teaching, which is calling to salvation, come to me, you who are weary, gets more and more intense as His disciples, and the word for disciple in Greek is mathete, which means a learner, Jesus begins to challenge them. Remember, the crowds loved Jesus. He could make bread seemingly by magic. He could feed them. They didn't have to go home and bring their own lunch. He would just, he could provide it. If they got sick, he could heal them. He could raise the dead. He was a great guy to follow. They loved the miracles. They loved the, the teaching. It was so interesting. Nobody ever taught like him. But he began to challenge them and go deeper spiritually, not just surface teaching, but spiritual teaching. And that's where the opposition grows and grows, not only from the religious professionals, but also the crowd begins to push back. He begins to ask them more than they're willing to give. Jesus challenged his disciples. Well, in Mark chapter 8, Verse 34, we read one of those instances. Listen to the challenge in this. 
and it's addressed to the crowd, the most basic unit of those following Jesus. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, see the mixed group of belief and unbelief, and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Boy, that's an ask. That's a big ask of people. (laughs) Give up your life for the sake of the gospel. Put God and the good news of the kingdom ahead of everything, even your very life. Because he goes on, he says, what profit is it if you gain the whole world but lose your immortal soul? What gain is there? That's a challenge. And you could tell people saying, oh, I enjoyed the free bread and the miracle show, but uh, this is asking too much. People in the back of the crowd, you can imagine, would start to peel off or not show up around the lake day after day. But then John chapter 6 says, Jesus crossed a teaching bridge too far for many people. Interestingly, He taught a a deep spiritual truth that you and I will celebrate today. At the close of the service, the cup and the bread, the elements remind us of the body and the blood of Jesus given and shed for our salvation. Jesus taught the people that He was the bread of life. He used that beautiful metaphor like, He's living water. He's the bread of life. He said, through faith in me, it's as if you eat me as bread. You eat my flesh, you drink my blood. And the people said, hold your horses. That's too much. In our thinking, that is beyond the pale. You've deeply offended us. We read this in John chapter 6. Jesus teaching on the bread of life and the crowd pushing back and getting more and more upset. It says in verse 60 of John 6, On hearing it, many of His disciples, many of His disciples, that's not the crowd, that's the mathetes, the disciples, said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Did you get that? His very students, His followers, said His teaching's too hard. We can't accept it. It's too much. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Because he, Jesus says, he is the manna, the true manna who comes from heaven. Jesus says, the Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. They were taking it literally and literally It's gross, but spiritually, it's life. Jesus is the bread of life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. And Jesus remembers speaking to His disciples. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray Him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to Me unless the Father enables Him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed. Many of them. The twelve are still there, 
But many people rejected Jesus' teaching. The popularity waned. The religious opposition increased and increased. And as you put the synoptics together, you realize that it's that time of peak opposition where Jesus can now clearly see His road to the cross marked out. Then Jesus chooses the twelve. Do you realize what He's doing? He realizes in God's perfect plan that His days on earth are numbered. And He is giving that life-giving mission for which God sends Him, the good news of the Gospel, He's passing it on. It's in your hands today, but how did you get it? Where did it come from? It came through these 12 ordinary men. So Jesus, this brings us to His choosing. Jesus chose the 12. All of the crowd around Him, the crowd, the disciples, Jesus after a night of prayer, agonizing in prayer, He chose 12 at this crucial time in His ministry. We find that recorded for us in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, He called His disciples to Him and chose twelve of them, whom He also designated apostles. Simon, whom He named Peter, His brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Jesus now, among all His disciples, have chosen the twelve. And things, friends, begin to change. Jesus now, rather than focusing on the crowds, the lineups of people to be healed, Jesus now with the twelve begins to avoid the crowds. He begins to cross the river back, or the, the lake rather, the Sea of Galilee back and forth in a boat to avoid the crowds, to get away from the crowds because he needed to focus on the twelve and pour his heart, his life, his teaching and his mission into the twelve. The last year and a half of his ministry, that's his focus. His laser focus above all things. As you look at the twelve, and we will much closer in the weeks to come, this initial list in Luke, we see lists in Luke, in Matthew, Mark, John, the book of Acts. And sometimes the names don't seem to line up. The early church had no problem with it. They didn't see any conflict. And that tells us that there is no conflict that these names, though the names seem different, it's because as we see in this passage, many of these men bore more than one name. I don't know anyone here, maybe some of you. Is anybody here in the sanctuary today? Here's a test. Listen close. Apart from your family name, your last name, do any of you just have one name? No first and middle name. No middle initial. Any single name people here today? 
Boy, see, you're all blessed with multiple names. You are like these ordinary people. They all had multiple names. In fact, we'll see one of the disciples, Scripture refers to him by three separate names. And some of the names Jesus gives them, like Peter means a rock. He gave Simon, Shimon, the Hebrew name, Simeon from the Old Testament. He gave him a new name and referred to him by a different name. These men came in pairs, it seems. We'll see Jesus later sending them out in pairs, but it seems He often called them in pairs as well. At least two, more likely three sets of brothers among this twelve, and some of them close lifelong friends. Some of them with backgrounds that we're not sure how they were connected, that they sent them out in pairs. But we're going to see that more and more as the weeks go by. Jesus honored the relationships of these people as well. When He had that group together, they were tight. They were bonded by background, by vocation, and by family connection. I think it's kind of cute when you see Jesus and the twelve on the road because unlike the crowds, Jesus took the twelve on long trips with him. They were his traveling companions. And the Bible says oftentimes a group of faithful believing women came along with them. Well, if you know this Jewish society, those women, and we see them named later, are their moms. We have these grown men, brothers, and moms traveling along too when they pitch camp and set up camp and cook meals, taking care of the boys. It was a family affair as well. Not only did Jesus choose the twelve, but now He equips them. He pours His life into them. I love a picture like that because that gives you an idea of how many twelve people is. God's plan A with no plan B. That group changed the world. God used it to turn this world upside down. Where two or more are gathered, Jesus in their midst, you can change the world. Any number of people plus Jesus is powerful and effective. So Jesus now pours his life into the twelve. One of the ways he did that was his private instruction. At this time, with the opposition of the crowd, he begins, he begins no longer to teach them clearly. He begins to teach them only in parables, stories that they can enjoy that have a deeper spiritual meaning. And in doing that, Jesus then would have deeper teaching with the twelve. For instance, in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, it says, Then Jesus said to the crowd, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's just told them a parable. Then Jesus, And then when alone, verse 10, when he was alone with the twelve and the others around him asked about the parables, he told them, The secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. But to those on the outside, the crowds, everything is said in parables. He began to teach them deep truths about God, about Himself, the meaning of His parables. He wanted them to learn the message so they could carry the message. It said He designated them as apostles. Mathete is disciple. And these are often, these men, the twelve, are referred to as disciples. They were learners. Jesus was their teaching. But they were also designated as apostles. That was their ministry position. They were sent ones. Apostoloi in Greek means he who is sent. You have a mission. 
You're a missionary. You have a mission and a message. And you have the authority of the one who sent you. If you were the apostoloi of the king or the emperor, nobody could get in your way because they would be going against the will of the king. Well, these are God's apostoloi. They have a mission and they have the message that Jesus has given to them. And only in the Gospel of Luke is that name for them, the apostles, used commonly. In Matthew, the word apostle, one time. Mark, the word apostle, one time. John, one time. And it's usually when he designates them apostles at choosing the twelve. The rest of the time, they are primarily referred to as the twelve. The twelve. That number was important. It was God's number. Like the twelve tribes. Scripture tells us later that they are the foundation. That the foundation of the kingdom of God is on the prophets and the apostles. These twelve. That in the New Jerusalem, the names written on the foundation of the glorious city are the twelve apostles. Twelve ordinary men. God sends them. Not only did He teach them friends, but He equipped them. And then one of the most amazing passages is when He sends them out on lengthy preaching trips. He sends them only to Jewish people, to the villages of the Galilee. He's wrapping up His public ministry in Galilee and He wants to make sure that every village has had a chance to respond. And so He sends the apostles out two by two, not with just only a message, but He also equips them with power and authority by the Spirit of God. We see that clearly spelled out for us in the Gospel of Luke chapter 9, the first six verses. It says, when Jesus had called the twelve together. Now, the grammar of that Greek is interesting. It means that at this point in the ministry, the twelve weren't with Jesus every day. They were off somewhere. Calling them together means He had to bring them together. They weren't with Him. Jesus brings the twelve together. He gave them power, and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now that sounds familiar because that's been Jesus' mission to the Galileans for the past 18 months. Verse 3, He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff. No bag. No bread. No money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Jesus has now multiplied His ministry through the twelve apostles. These ordinary men have been taught. They've been authorized. They carry the authority of Jesus. And they have been empowered by Jesus. His ministry, healing the sick, even raising the dead, has now been multiplied through the apostles. But then he tells them something amazing. He says, take nothing with you. <laughs> take your staff, your walking stick. That's it. Maybe you can womp a snake on the head, but you can't buy bread. You have no sword to defend yourself from bandits. You've got nothing. 
Now we know that, missionaries know that especially, that Jesus did this to teach them faith, to depend on Jesus. They had to depend on Him. Now this is made clear. One of the parallel passages tells us another thing of how Jesus sent them out. In Matthew 10, verse 16, look what Jesus says. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Now that's encouraging. Take nothing with you. No money. No raincoat. No suitcase. No change of clothes. No food. Nothing. You're going like sheep among wolves. Now why would He do that? Not only were they learning faith, but they were learning to depend as sheep among wolves. Who do they depend on? The shepherd. If you've got young King David back when he was a shepherd, a skinny-armed shepherd boy with a deadly sling, whether a wolf, a bear, a lion, you were safe. And they were being told, though they were to act shrewdly and be innocent, above all, they were to depend on the shepherd. Friends, in this world today, there are times where God's people are like sheep among the wolves. Rather than despair though, we rejoice that we have the shepherd who cares. The good shepherd. He never sleeps on the job. Well, there's the twelve. They come from being faces in the crowd to Jesus' chosen sent ones. Plan A of God's plan to save this lost world. And as Jesus... He faces the cross. He pays the price. Salvation is assured and victory is won. Jesus then hands the mission completely over to the twelve, those He leaves behind. And today that mission carries on through you and I. One day in heaven, we'll know the truth that the twelve, the faith came through one of them to someone else to someone else, to someone else, and eventually to you. One day you'll know whether it was through the Apostle Thomas, who church tradition tells us took the good news to India. Someone in India. Which of the apostles did the faith come to you? We don't know. But it's at your life now. And it's to carry on in you and through you or will our lives be a dead end for the faith? Jesus gives us our mission. His mission becomes our mission. And we close with this as we go to the Lord's table. What's His mission? How did God send Him? As the Father sends me, so send I you. What did God send Jesus for? John three sixteen and 17. Most familiar passages in Scripture. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Your mission's not to condemn your unbelieving neighbors. It's to share the good news. The truth of God's Word and the love of God shown in your actions. You're the good news. Jesus' mission becomes our mission. As He told them very clearly the night before His crucifixion in John 15, 
Jesus says to his 12, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. (laughs) We're told what we're to do. Go and bear spiritual fruit for the kingdom of God. We're told how to do it. Prayerfully and with the love of God. That's our marching orders. How can we refer to our mission without the Great Commission? Final verse we look at today, of course, is Matthew chapter 28. And when you remember that in context of all that has come before in the lives of these men and continues on today, God's plan, plan A, continues on in your life. Don't rely on anyone else. The Gospel's yours now to share. You're part of plan A. And that plan Jesus shared with His followers. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, that didn't end with the the apostles who had that special office and ministry in the early church. It continues with us because we haven't reached the end of the age. But the mission is still going on. And Jesus is still with us. And He will be. So friends, the ministry of those 12 ordinary men, it continues in your life today. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at those individuals, their strengths, their glaring weaknesses, their successes and their failures, and learn the lessons that God has us from the lives of the Master's men. At this point, we'll turn our attention to the Lord's table. If you're at home or have one of the fellowship cups, I'd encourage you to take that, begin to peel back the cellophane, and take out the element, the wafer of unknown origin, which represents the bread for us. One day, Lord willing, we'll, we'll share bread, real bread again. But till then, we're thankful to have these and share them together. If you're at home, whatever elements are at hand, the spiritual meaning of them does not change. As we come together, that hard teaching of Jesus, do you remember the one that sent so many people running for the hills? That Jesus is the bread of life? And it's through His body and His blood that salvation comes to the lost by faith. We celebrate today and remember that. We remember it with the gift of the Lord's table that Jesus gave to us. The Apostle Paul, who we'll see later, is an apostle who was appointed by Jesus personally long after the other twelve. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body 
which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Our actions today communicate that Jesus died for us. By doing it together, we show the world that we're one. We're part of the body of Christ adopted into the family of God through faith in what Jesus did for us. Let's pray together and give thanks at this time for both elements, the bread and the cup, before we partake. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this morning we have gone quickly over passages from Your Word which remind us, Lord, that Jesus' life was a whirlwind. He was speaking and the throngs were around Him until they became so great that He began to hand the ministry into the hands of His trusted followers. And eventually, the very mission of sharing the good news with the lost world He gave into the hands of ordinary people. Disciples who made other disciples. Who made disciples. Who made disciples. Until, Lord, throughout the years, that precious gift of the Gospel have come to us. It's in our hands now. Lord, will we be, will we be found faithful to share that wonderful gift of life with the hurting world? Will our neighbors see it in our hearts and the lives we live? Will those who pass, who cross our path, will they hear the good news of the gospel from us? Lord, I pray that we'll be found faithful. Lord, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gave us a gift of remembrance. Lord, the bread reminds us of his body freely given to the cross in our place. And the cup we drink, Lord, it reminds us of the precious blood of the Lamb of God without sin or blemish. Lord, we thank You for Jesus, His sacrifice, which showed His great love for us. A love that saves. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, He took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup. Jesus said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Friends, those in the sanctuary, I invite you to stand together with me as we're going to close our service in prayer. Following that, the worship team will have a closing song for us. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for this amazing love. 
Lord, not only did You love by the words You spoke, the broken bodies You healed, but Lord, You showed it fully on the cross by the life You gave for us. Lord, in turn, as Your followers, we're called to be willing to give up our lives, not to be lived for ourselves, but to put You first. Lord, that looks different in all our lives, but I pray that our hearts will be completely Yours and the lives we live will pass on the good news. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.